Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. If this is your first time listening, I am so glad you found this podcast. And if you are a longtime listener, thanks for sticking around with me. And regardless of whether you've listened to one or just the intro of one or all 54 episodes, I hope that you'll take a minute to share the show with a fellow manager. Maybe send them your favorite episode or one that you think will help them on their rock star journey. Now, before we get to today's guest, a few quick reminders. One, I'm thinking of developing a course or some other types of products to help you grow your management skills even more. But before I create anything, I want to be sure it addresses your biggest frustrations. So if you could take two minutes, literally two minutes, and go to mamieks.com slash new dash course and tell me, when it comes to being a manager, what is your single biggest challenge or frustration? I would really appreciate your input and advice on this. And number two, a warm welcome to Lori B to the Modern Manager community. I am so glad that you have joined us. And now that you're in, I hope that you will drop a question or a note into the community forum so that we can start a dialogue. For anyone else who joins before June 30th, 2019, you will get two special gifts. Learn more about the membership levels and those special gifts at mamieks.com join. Alrighty, today's guest is Mike Tannenbaum. Mike is founder, principal, and lead strategist of Humanity. Mike helps people create better experiences by deepening their understanding of humans. He focuses on helping people and teams become the best version of themselves by redesigning the way they relate to their work so they experience more joy, fulfillment, and effective ways of working. Mike and I talk about the four types of work, what a manager creates, the practice of continuous improvement combined with planning, mindfulness, and a whole lot more. Now here's our conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Mike, such a pleasure to have you today. I am really excited to talk to you because I just finished reading your workbook and my head is just buzzing with ideas and I, I can't wait to like dig into it with you. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks for having me. And I'm very glad that you've been working your way through it. Yeah, it's been great. It was totally not what I expected. So first off, I should say, you know, shout out to everyone who they should go get your workbook and do it for themselves. And we'll get into a couple of tastes of what's in there. So to start... You talk about four different types of work, and I want to note that you have a footnote in there that is the best footnote I've <laughs> ever read. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but the footnote that says, I can't find the source for this content, but it was amazing, and I looked for hours, and so if you know what the source for this content is, please tell me. Yeah, I have. It's a blessing and a curse of being very transparent and honest, but it was. it's the only footnote in the book, and as you read, I discovered this theory, these four different types of work, at least I believe that I discovered them and read them online and it resonated with me and I've used them. And when I put them in the book, I just went digging forever, could not find them. But I believe they're a great model for the way that I approach my work and the way that others approach theirs. And I've kind of tested it and tried to break it and see if, see if it doesn't quite work, but the model always holds up. So if you want to jump into it, I'm happy to share. Yeah. Why don't you talk us through this model? Sure. So four types of work. Really, it's three. 
the fourth one we'll get to, but planning, coordinating, creating, and then distracting. So naturally distracting is what we want to minimize and creating is what we want to maximize. But to go in that order, planning, coordinating, creating, and distracting, planning is the work that's ahead of the work. It's the organization, the structure, your strategy, when you're thinking about how you're going to do what you're going to do and getting all of your ducks in a row, that's planning. Coordinating is the work that's around the work. All the emails, oftentimes meetings, communications, chasing down information, looking for data, all of that stuff that you're doing back and forth between people or sometimes just on your own to wrangle all of the information in order to do your work falls into the coordinating bucket. And then creating is the work itself. So this is where sometimes it can get a little bit tricky because not everybody thinks of themselves as a creator, especially maybe a manager or a team lead or a business owner may not necessarily see themselves as a creator. But whatever it is that your role is focused on doing and what you're responsible for, that's what you create. It could be creating, you could be a writer, a designer, an editor, something like that, where you have tangible deliverables and tangible output. So that's your deep work. That's your creation. If you're a manager, maybe you create outcomes. You create a good team. You create cohesion. You create alignment. If you're a project manager, you may be creating project plans. Part of that work is planning. Part of it is creating. So that's, again, like I said, where it gets a little bit messy. But creating is really that deep work. The, you're in the zone. You're doing your thing. This is what you're responsible for making, doing, bringing to the organization. And that's where most of us, I believe, like to, to maximize and spend our time. And then the final part is distracting. And exactly as it sounds, it's anything that gets in the way of you doing your work. So social media, colleagues tapping you on the shoulder, getting up and wandering over to the water cooler and then you know, killing 20 minutes, anything that's just keeping you and preventing you from doing that type of work falls into that bucket. So I love that you talked about the different kinds of doing or creating because that's something I've been thinking a lot about as managers. There's like a joke that says, you know, a manager's work is to go to meetings, which as a person who loves meetings, I think it's great. Yeah. But I, I think most people don't actually interpret it that way. It's like, oh gosh, that's, that's all managers do is they go to meetings and they run around and stay busy. So, you know, as I'm thinking about like, what is the work of a manager? What is our creating? You know, the idea that we're creating a team, that we're investing in outcomes and the creation of outcomes. I just love that interpretation. I appreciate that. And, and it's, I've thought a lot about the role of everybody's role, I guess, really. A lot of what I do is about thinking about other people and learning about their perspectives, their needs, their work, who they are as people. And that kind of ties into what your role is and what you're responsible for. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not the management expert, but my perception and, and my interpretation, I guess, through my career and what I've learned is that I appreciate managers that act as coaches. And I'm sure that you've heard that analogy before. But management is like, it's easy to get stuck in the Dilbert jokes of, of all they do is go to meetings and move people around and tell people what to do. But I think when someone thinks of themselves as a coach, it's about empowerment. It's about enabling. I've heard the phrase blocking and tackling thrown around a lot in, in past roles that I've had where oftentimes the managers or the team leads will create the space. And sometimes they'll take the hits from that are coming from different angles in the organization and they'll create space for their team to do the work that they're responsible for doing. So there's obviously a lot of different facets to it. It's a complex job, but I think that, you know, in, in terms of what does a manager create, it could be 
trust between themselves and the people on their team. It could be cohesion between the reports and the people that work on the team. I, I actually don't like to use the word report or resource or any of that. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of just talking about people. But I think the idea of creating alignment and creating clarity is very important. So you know, I can go on and on and on, but I'll pause because I'm, I'm sure that there's stuff in there to dig into. Yeah, yeah, this is great. And it actually reminds me of a different section of the book that I was reading where you were talking about kind of the different way to think about the people that you interact with. And so it's beyond just, this is my team, but actually there are five different ways to think about the people that are kind of part of your orbit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And this does not have a footnote. This is something that I created. Uh, I just thought of on my own. But this came when looking at the interactions that I've had and the support system that I've built both as an entrepreneur, as an independent, as a freelancer, but also as an employee in, in the earlier parts of my career. So to run down that list, there's people that I view as collaborators, there are leaders, there are advisors, and then there's people who rely on you, and there's people whom you rely on. So there's absolutely overlap. This is, this is more Venn diagram-like than it is putting things in columns. Collaborators are the people that you're doing work with. I come from an agency in design and creative and tech background, so a lot of my frames of reference are over there. But collaborators would be an art director working with a designer, working with a, a content strategist and a copywriter. They're working towards the same outcome, and we're sharing work back and forth, we're sharing ideas, we're brainstorming, we're in the trenches together. Leaders could be a team lead, could be the CEO, an executive, anybody that fills that role of a leader for you. And again, my workbook, there's two editions. The first one is focused on personal. So me, my work, my behaviors, my habits. And the second one is that plus collaborative. So looking at the, the wider spectrum of who do I interact with? What do I need from them? What do they need from me? How do we work together as a system to achieve the greater goals? So that's where this framework of, of the five different roles that people fill. So collaborators, we talked about leaders we talked about, advisors. They could be a personal advisor. It could be a mentor. It may not even, it may be someone that's not even in the same organization or department. Maybe they work at a different company, but I still seek out their advice and their guidance when I run into certain barriers. Those are people that, to me, I believe are worth noting down as valuable. Those are relationships that I want to cultivate. Those are relationships that I want to give back to because they help me, so I want to help them. That leads into the other two categories, people that I rely on, I should say people whom you rely on, and then people who rely on you. So when you look at, from a project management perspective, it's easy to look at things through inputs and outputs. So here's what's going in to this process, here's what's coming out of that process. In this framework, the idea of who relies on me, it's basically dependencies, and it's mapping out the dependencies within the chains of work that I'm a part of. So understanding if people are waiting on things from me, I need to know that. And they should know that I know that. And again, it's a give and take. And the flip side of that would be the people that I rely on. So in order for me to do my work, whatever it is, who do I need to complete their work in order for me to be successful at the task I was given or opted into? Does all that make sense? Yes. And one of the reasons why I find this 
particularly compelling is because a lot of the teams that I work with and I do team coaching, we're really focused internally. Like, what are your processes? How do you make decisions? What are the values and how are you going to treat each other? And something that kind of consistently bubbles up is, this is all great. Our team is working so much better. But the problem is now how I interact with the person from the other department who I don't think of as being my team member, but whom I rely on regularly for information or for revisions or for approval or for whatever it is. And that those kind of boundaries between who's inside the team and who's outside the team start to kind of disappear when you think about it as who do I interact with rather than who is my team. Yeah, it's, that's beautifully well summarized and leads me to, to kind of chuckle at the way historically, I guess, that we drew these artificial boundaries. And we're coming out of, I don't want to dive too far into it, but we're coming out of this idea of the command and control and the industrial era where we separated the thinkers and the doers. And we can talk about all of that theory another time. But now we're in this age where information flows freely, quickly, always readily available. Communications happen, you know, instantaneously, and they happen all the time, everywhere. It's, it's ridiculously overwhelming. That's actually what kind of led me to this book. But the artificial boundaries and lines that we have drawn in the past don't really apply anymore. And again, dependencies, we don't work in silos anymore. And it's not just someone above me is waiting for something and someone below me is giving me something. There's, you know, if you think about the role of a product manager in an organization, product actually kind of blends together marketing and engineering and maybe even sales into this hybrid role where you know the marketing team's doing their thing and talking to customers the engineering team's doing their thing and building product the product team is kind of managing it's it's crossing between and kind of over those lines so really understanding again like you said that map that ecosystem both internal and external to me it's it's instead of trying to fit what we want to achieve into the models that used to exist and that we're comfortable with using, but don't really apply anymore. Let's just wipe, you know, let's erase the whiteboard and let's say, okay, we have to do these tasks. Here's what we need to accomplish. Here's when we need to accomplish it by. What are the steps that we need to take? Who are the people that are involved? At what point are those various people involved? And what's the best way to go about doing this? That leads into kind of the secondary thing, which is learning and, and continuous improvement. And you and I have talked about that a little bit before. But the idea that let's say we map all of that out and it looks beautiful and we say, yes, this is the way to do it. We understand all of this stuff. We go get started. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we didn't even think about these people. What are we going to do? The plan's going to fall apart. Oh no. Time out and pause and say, okay, we just learned something new. We got a new data point. How do we input that and how do we kind of shift and adjust and adapt the model to fit what we now know to be true. So it's this idea of, again, looking at the work that we're doing, there's an ecosystem of it and it's a series of interactions. And it's not just within those silos, it's more of a network. And, and there's books, Team of Teams is a book where we talk about, where the author talks about the network value of work and the way that all of the nodes connect with each other and pass information back and forth really helps look at work from that holistic perspective. So I, I want to dig into this section on this concept around continuous improvement, because I think as someone who likes plans, this is a, a space that I feel like I exist in a lot, which is 
make the plan and then, oh no, the plan doesn't work. And so make another plan and, oh no, that plan doesn't work and then make another plan. Uh, I think it's part of the love of process and making lists that leads me into this kind of constant state of trying to iterate my plan based on everything that's learning. But I've worked with people and I do work with people even now who hate that approach because like, it doesn't matter why make a plan. It's just going to fall apart anyways. So can you talk about your approach to this continuous improvement and how you kind of evolve and use curiosity and adaptation and experimentation to, to do all those good things? Sure. The idea of continuously improving is, again, not my concept. So I can agree with both parties. <laughs> I can agree that making a plan and sticking to it is important. And I can also agree that we're going to make a plan and, and something's not going to go according to plan. And, and then we're going to have to be, you know, improvised. And actually, that's a great word for it. I'm a musician. And a lot of what I pull from is, is jazz and imp improvisational music and, and having expert chops and skills and craft, and then being able to be on the spot and kind of adapt as needed. So the idea of continuous improvement for me is there's still planning involved. We need to know what we're going to do, and we need to have a sense of how we're going to do it in order to achieve that goal. I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that, but I think most people would agree with the statement that a lot of time things don't go according to plan. So. <clears throat> When I look at this, it's, it's a matter of what are we going to do when, things, when we gain new information or when something doesn't work out the way that we thought it would? How are we going to prepare for that? So it could be we have a backup plan and then a backup plan for the backup plan. You know, some people may be that style. And if that, again, if this works for you, like do what works for you. I'm a huge fan of that. I don't think there's a one size fits all for anything. And that's what the workbook is about. It's about helping you figure out kind of who you are and how you work. And, you know, the idea of continuous improvement is about, okay, I'm at this stage right now. And I've done these things right now. I'm not quite where I need to be. Either my plan worked, or my plan didn't, but I've, I've grown, I've learned a lot, I've evolved. Now let me check in with myself. Let me check in with my team, see where everybody's at. Do we think we're doing things the right way? Do we think we're headed in the right direction? Or are we actually moving the wrong way and things aren't working? So I think it's more a matter of just having a, a continuous conversation more than it is continuously improving. So, you know, continuous steering is another term that I've heard. And the difference between the two is probably nuanced. But the idea of as we get new information, we validate and we reassess our approach to any given situation. And we talk about it as a team, and then we figure out what our next step is. So instead of trying to you know, plan out step one through 100, maybe we start, maybe we make a plan and we do one through 10 or one through five. And we say, okay, that's where we need to go. We plan the long-term vision. And then we create a strategy for the midterm to achieve, to get us you know, going there. And then we have tactics for the short term. Here's what we're going to do right now, this week, next week, the week after. And then we're going to revisit it. We're going to run a retrospective. We're going to learn from everything that happened. And then we're going to figure out what our next plan is moving forward. So again, you can create that large umbrella plan, but you regularly want to be checking in with your team, with yourself, with the people who are a part of that to make sure that you're moving in the right direction and that you're achieving what you want to be achieving. So I want to shift us to another topic around 
mindfulness and awareness because, I mean, first of all, in order to adjust any plans or kind of be on a continuous improvement path, you have to have some sense of awareness and kind of be willing to make those changes, be willing to be reflective. So can you talk a little bit more about what it means to bring mindfulness and awareness into the workplace? Yeah, I love that question. And that's kind of what set me down this path several years ago was the idea of bringing mindfulness into organizations. Some people have very negative reactions to that word mindfulness, especially in a business setting. And on the East Coast, there's, there's a lot of feelings around mindfulness being kept out of organizations because it's a little too hippy-dippy. But for me, I've, I've taken mindfulness-based stress reduction classes. I have my own mindfulness practices, but I don't believe that everyone in an organization needs to sit down and meditate together. I'm, I'm sure that would be great, but I, that, that's not what this means. The idea of being mindful in an organization is really about increasing self-awareness and organizational awareness. And I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of ego in most organizations that I've interacted with. The people have it, the organizational culture has it, whether it's possessiveness or claiming ownership or trying to look good, a lot of actions are driven by ego. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, but the fact that most people don't recognize that about themselves or the culture they work within, that I think is where the problem is. The first step to creating any of these changes is becoming aware of the current circumstances, ideally as objectively as possible. So when looking at being more mindful, to me, it's about looking at myself, looking at my interactions. How do I come across to people? Am I talking all of the time in all of the meetings? Or do I actually sit back and let other people have an opportunity to share their ideas? A step further from that, do I encourage and kind of facilitate the people that want to speak but don't often have the opportunity, perhaps? How do I help them? How do I create space so that those people can speak up and be a part of what's happening in a meeting or in a Slack channel or whatever? So again, going back to the idea of awareness, I just really believe that when people become aware of themselves, there's a lot of opportunity for learning and growth and improvement. And it's a really hard thing to do. Whether you have a coach or a therapist, in therapy, one looks backwards. And in coaching, one looks forwards. And that to me is, is where there's a distinction there. But tackling some of this stuff is, is very personal. And sometimes it hurts. You know, I have behaviors and habits. And you know, part of my operating system as a human, there's components of it that I don't like, that I'm embarrassed by or I'm ashamed by. But the sooner that I figure those out and recognize them and become aware of them, the sooner I can start to work to become comfortable with them or, or learn how to use them and learn how to improve. But as, as a worker, as a person within an organization, to be aware of myself, be aware of my dependencies, my managers, my reports, the people that I interact with, for, you know, the more that those people can become aware of themselves, the more honest conversation we can start to have with ourselves and then we can start to have as a team. And the best teams that I've seen and the best projects that I've worked on are 
when it's almost borderline over communication, but it's, it's very honest communication and it's very forthcoming. And I think that being mindful again is just, it's operating with a sense of presence and without judgment. Those are the two key kind of tenets of that. So the idea of looking at how are we working together, being introspective, being reflective and questioning things and seeking to learn and seeking to change and grow and improve. All of that to me is, is how a person in an organization can be mindful. It's, it's like I said at the beginning, it's not about just sitting there and meditating, which I think is a good thing to do. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly what I love about being a coach is that I get to help people be more aware of themselves and understand how they come to the work, how they come to the team or, or the process, and how that may or may not be the same as how others come to something. And sometimes the awareness is not that you're doing anything wrong. I mean, a lot of times we learn things about ourselves and we realize it's not that we're doing anything wrong. It's just that we do it differently than somebody else. And that just having awareness that different approaches are all valid, that different ways of coming to something, to, of seeing something, that they're all valid, but they're different and that we find tension in those differences. When you can just be mindful of that and be aware of, of yourself, you don't necessarily need to change, but you can actually just have stronger, healthier conversations. I'm thinking specifically about a situation that came up recently with one of my clients where she was telling me about a, an issue that arose between her, two of her direct reports, two of her team members, where they kind of had a tiff because one of them was kind of thinking really big picture, how might we? And the other one was thinking super logistics, practicalities, and they were just butting heads on it. And, you know, she was like, I sat down with them, doing all the great things that a manager should do. She's like, I sat down with them. We tried to have like, you know, I tried to coach them through this. And I was like, that's great. I was like, but at the end of the day, what is actually most helpful is for not, not just to deal with this one particular issue, but to help them understand that they're coming from two different places. And that when they're self-aware about, oh, I'm actually a big picture thinker and you're a logistics kind of person and those are our default modes. Now, when we get into the situation next time, we can both kind of catch our own selves, right? We can stop and say, oh, wait a second. I think I'm really excited about the possibilities of what this could do. And I think you're thinking a lot about the practicalities of how we're going to implement this rather than having to butt heads on it. Maybe we can start with one of those conversations and, and talk on the same level. And then we can shift and talk about the other conversation on the same level and come to some conclusion together. That's a great example. And I really appreciate the way you took my large abstract idea and made it tangible. One quick thing on the mindfulness that that makes me think about is the idea of identifying triggers. And again, this kind of gets into therapy and CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. Again, I'm not an expert, go consult an expert, but the idea of identifying a trigger and then responding instead of reacting. And that's a lot of what I learned through mindfulness. As, as humans, something happens, an event happens, and we react to it by human nature. And we're not, usually, we're not aware of that process until we begin to search and make ourselves aware of what's happening. And when we identify those triggers, in your example, the big picture thinker versus the detail-oriented thinker, when you identify those triggers, then you can have an appropriate response. And a response is something that's planned or it's something that's intentional. 
you're intentional about the way you respond to that situation. Instead of being sporadically reactional to something and kind of losing it whenever that thing comes up. So I, I think that that was a great application. And I completely agree with you on the differences that we as humans have. I mean, I love to say that there's like, every time I look, the number goes up, but there's 7.7 .7 billion people in this world. And not everybody sees the world the way that I do. And not everybody comes from the same background that I do. And most people have different upbringings and perspectives and trainings and experiences than I do. And therefore, that applies to all of the other people that I'm working with. So when, when you seek to understand where someone is coming from, why someone is quiet in a meeting, or why someone speaks all the time, or why a person doesn't feel comfortable, and you're looking to understand the why behind someone's behavior, that to me is really, really important. Because then, like you said, you can identify those opportunities to have appropriate responses and discussions. Maybe it's not a discussion, but you respond appropriately once you can understand someone's perspective and someone's circumstances. But for the most part, what I see are people running around in organizations not thinking about that stuff. They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their work. They're thinking about getting ahead or, the, you know, and naturally things like family and pets and health and all of that other stuff. But I, I just, I really want to see more people thinking about other people and other people's lived experiences, because then you start to build the empathy that we see talked about in every single HBR, Fast Company, you know, online article ever. But for empathy, you know, to build empathy, we have to start to seek to understand people. And to me, that's, it's, that's a really important part of being a manager, being a business owner. I'm independent, but I work with a lot of teams, on a lot of teams. And when I work to understand other people, and when I help others seek to understand the people that they work with, it's really where like a new level of magic starts to happen. I think that is the perfect place to end. So can you tell everyone where to learn more about you and your work and the workbook itself? Sure. So I have too many online presences, but you can go to MikeTannenbaum.com is the easiest one. The workbook is called Clear Path Forward, and that one is clearpathforward.co.co. And then my company is called Humanity. I believe we need to bring humanity back to business. And that is enjoyhumanity.co. So those three websites will have all the information. On Twitter, I am the Royal T-Bomb, T-B-O-M-B. I tweet too much, so please come say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. This was fascinating. And I feel like we have so much more to talk about, which we'll just have to save for another time. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Mamie. It was, it was really a pleasure having this conversation. I love how thoughtful Mike is about his work. I highly suggest checking out the workbook that we talked about, Clear Path Forward. It comes as an individual or a team version, and there's also a course of the same name. The link to that is in the show notes, and if you're a member of the Modern Manager community, you get 25% off everything that Mike offers. Go to mamieks.com join to become a member. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S as in Stuart dot com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 
Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.